Good evening everyone and welcome. What defines you? Tonight's class we're going to discuss what is a person? Is he what he does or is he what he could do? Are you what you have or are you what you could be? And it's very apropos for Yom Kippur and the holiness of the day already tomorrow night. Reb Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides, he had a sir, he had a student named Avner. Avner, he went off the path, and he really wanted to hurt the Ramban, Nachmanides. And I believe it was Yom Kippur. He called in his his teacher. He was an influential man, and. The Ramban had no choice but to listen. He called in his teacher and he ate a chazir on Yom Kippur in front of his teacher. And he started trying, he tried to start up asking some Talmudic questions. Finally, the Ramban turns to him and he says, So what happened? What, what turned you off? And he shares, he says, you were my teacher, of course, you are my teacher. And it came Parshas Hazinu, this week's Torah portion. And you taught us that within the Hazinu, within the song of Hazinu, Hazinu is called a song, the Torah first was it as a song. You taught us that within, within Hazinu, the entire world exists. You can find everything inside of it. But ever since you said that, I realize this is all false. Inside of a few, two columns, you can find the whole world. Ramosha looks at him and he says, Try, try me. Ask me any question and I'll find it inside of this Torah portion, Parshas Hazinu. On each table there is one Chumash. And if one leader of the table could open it up to page 1029, verse 26. 1029, verse 26. I'll pass around a, f a, f a few more chumashim you could share. We're on page 1029, verse 26. The Ramban goes to a corner, he davens to Hashem and he sees in heaven he's given the following inspiration verse 26 of Hazinu Dr. Yosef, please read verse 26 in the Hebrew Are you doing verse 26? So maybe I'm saying the wrong verse Oh, sorry. Verse 26 starts in the second column of that line. Amarti. Oh, okay. Uh, so let's stop. Verse 26, Lottie, can you read us in English? I was prepared to ex exterminate them, to make their memory vanish from among mankind. I was prepared to exterminate them, make their memory vanish from mankind. Moshe Mendel, please tell me the third letter of every word of this Pasuk in Hebrew. What is the third letter of every one of these words, please? The third letter of every one of these words. Verse 26. Could anyone help me out? What's the third letter of the first word? Reish. What's the third letter of the second word? What's the, what's the third letter of the third word? Nope. 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 Sorry. I just heard it before. The third letter is? Bet. Bet. You said it. Thank you. Reish Aleph Beis. What's the third letter of the next word? Mm. And the la final word is Reish Aleph Beis Nun Reish. Spells Reb 
Rabbi Avner. Ooh. Okay. So Moshe Ben Nachman, he turns to his student who has just done every sin in the book in front of him. And he says, you're written in the Torah. You're, I told you in this song, everything exists. You want to know your name? It's written clearly, Reb Avner. Avner, he was in for a complete shock. And the story continues that he went on a boat and was never seen again. He, he fulfilled the verse. He took the verse to heart. And he was never heard from again. In other words, he, he did a complete repentance and... What we learn is that no matter how far away someone is, they could always come close. No matter how far away we are from Hashem, we could always come closer. There was a fellow who came by the Rebbe for dollars one time, a fellow from another Hasidus, and the Rebbe asked me, he said, tell me, what did your Rebbe tell you lately? What's the latest thing you heard? And the man shares, he says, you know what, I, my Rebbe, he had a question on the Gemara in Chagiga. The Gemara in Tractate Chagiga tells us that call Yisrael, every Jew, even the wicked, are Malayim mitzvahs kirima and are full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate. And he said, my Rebbe asked us the question, he said, I don't understand. The Gemara, how could the Gemara say that even the wicked have mitzvahs like a pomegranate? The wicked, how could the wicked have, have so many mitzvahs? And the Rebbe turns to him and he says, You know what, I always had a question of that Gemara. But I had a different question. He said, my question was, How could there be wicked people if everyone is full of mitzvahs like a pomegranate? So, oh, the sorry, what was the question before that? The first question was, how could you say the wicked have Absolutely. so many mitzvahs like pomegranates? Yes, it's the other way. The other, you ask the question the other way around. How could there be wicked people if everyone has mitzvahs like a pomegranate? So, firstly, we started off, no matter how far away one is, they could always come closer. But second of all, a lot of life is about our perspective and how we look at things. And this brings us to our chapter. Chapter 11 the truth is, the title of the chapter really should have been, I, I called tonight's class, What Defines You? I didn't want to really call it the true name. The true name is The Russia. Chapter 11 is all about the Russia. I didn't think it would be such a nice title to send out. But the, the truth is that what defines you is also true. We're going to learn about the Russia, and we're going to learn... What makes a person? Any questions? Uh, everyone familiar with the word Russia means? Russia means the wicked. Yeah. Yes. Can you find my name in Hazinu? If I was a Ramban, I'm sure I could. I don't profess to be anywhere close, and the answer is I'm not even going to try. But fair question. Okay. So we're starting chapter 11. In chapter 11, comes after chapter 10. Chapter 10 discussed the tzaddik. We discussed the two types of tzaddikim. The tzaddik that is completely righteous and old bad has been completely turned over. There is no bad inside of him. It's been the bad has actually been turned to good. And we discussed the tzaddik that has bad within him. The incomplete tzaddik meaning that the bad is not active whatsoever. But it still exists within him. Two levels of a tzaddik. Comes chapter 11 and starts off and tells us one, we're on page 44 in the Tanya, right column, one is opposite the other. Whatever exists within the Tzaddik exists within the Russia. Whatever level we had within the Tzaddik, we have the opposite within the Russia. Now, if it wasn't clear in chapter 10 when we spoke about the Tzaddik, what should have come out is that you're not called a tzaddik for what you do. You're called a tzaddik for your essence. And let me explain. In chapter 11, in chapter 10, we didn't learn that to be a tzaddik, you have to do good. We said a bane and he does good. To do good doesn't make you a righteous person. To be a righteous person means that there is no active bad within you. <coughs> and therefore, even if you do everything right, but 
you have the active ability to do bad. That means within you, there is energy that is, that is coming up within your minds and you're getting lost with thoughts of negativity. Even though they will never come to fruition, you are not a tzaddik. A tzaddik is someone, again, who doesn't have the ability to do bad. The Russia is now the exact opposite. The Russia could be someone who doesn't sin. But, sorry, I'm, I, I, I said that wrong. The Russia is someone who, that would, yeah, this would actually be fair. The Russia is, could be someone who doesn't actually do a physical sin, but he allows his mind to think about inappropriate, just the fact that he's allowing his mind to think about inappropriate things could, title, could, could allow someone to title Russia because that means he easily could sin. So when I, when I title the class, What Defines You, in our conversation here, that what defines you actually is your essence, is where you're headed. <laughs> now Yom Kippur is coming. So before we continue, I really want to reiterate that we already learned in chapter 1 that Hashem looks at you by your deeds. You're judged by your deeds. And if someone, to be very, very clear, if someone sinned, but they have 51% good deeds, Yom Kippur comes and you're a, you're a righteous man. If Yom Kippur comes and you have 50% good and 50% bad, you're a Bainani. If you have 49%, if you have... 49% good, 51% bad, then in heaven, that person is considered wicked. So again, our conversation is, Yom Kippur is tomorrow night, let's, let's understand that our conversation of what the essence of a person is, is not the way that you're judged. So now we could come back to, to, to our topic at hand. We're discussing what your essence is. Is someone in his essence a tzaddik? Is he in his essence a rasha? If someone has the ability, the active ability to do bad and that ability is winning over him, then, then he could have the title of a rasha. Let's see this inside. Don't get so scared. I see a lot of scared faces. Let's see it inside. Because the Tanya is called Sefer Shelbeninim. It, it, the Tanya is called the Book of the Intermediary. That means all that's expected, all that Hashem wants, He does not want us to be righteous. He wants us to be, to be a, the intermediary. And we'll, we'll learn about the yes. So, uh, two questions. One, if I heard you correctly, you said if a person is 50-50, they're a Benini. 50, that means they did 50% good deeds and 50% bad deeds. Okay. They're judged in heaven so as an intermediary. 50-50, right on the balance, you're yeah. a Benini. Yeah. If, if it tells this way, you're Russia. If it tells this way... You're a Tzaddik. You're a Tzaddik. Yeah. Okay. Um, sounds like a 50-50 is a difficult spot to be in. The, the other question I uh, had was, uh, is this at a given point in time? Or uh, is this... I mean, is it you know, are, out or? yeah, is it rolling average uh, or is it a given point in time? In other words, can a person be a Rasha at one moment and a Tzadik the next? Are you asking for Hashem's, meaning for judgment or within his essence? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, 22 more hours. For, for judgment, for judgment, it goes by the year. It's a judgment of the past year. Okay. Um, so if someone sins right now until that right? what? until that right? until until and, and well, correct thank your, you your spot in Olamah would be right? I, I appreciate Mr. Schwartz is actually saying the judgment is not tomorrow night the judgment is actually going to happen it's going to happen thank you very much at Nila when the doors of heaven are going to be closed which is actually going to be Tuesday night um, sorry, it's going to be Wednesday night. Thank you. Wednesday night. Um, and, you know, when it comes to regarding going to heaven, as Mr. Schwartz said, that's something that happens right before you pass away. You know, what, you know the way they're going to judge you, um, that's going to be at the end of your at the end of one's life. And actually, that is why we learn in the Gemara, every second a person should think he's, gonna, he's about to pass away. You don't know. You know, don't, don't say, oh, today I could sin, and I'll make it up tomorrow. You don't so, know. There, so there are two points. One is annually at Nila. Annually at Nila, the... And when you pass away. Right, right. Yeah, so there's something more to it. Like, okay, maybe the door is closed, but it's not exactly sealed or something until <laughs> after Sukkot. 
That, that, that's fair. I mean, it, yes, it's maybe not closed till later. It also says Simchas Torah it, oh, through Sukkot. If you're happy, you could avert all decrees. That's true. But in, in generally speaking, mm-hmm. we say that the the decree is signed. Yeah, yeah, like in general, but we probably don't really know. Like I said, you don't really know where you're going to die. It's it's all part of the mystery of Hashem. Yeah. Okay, chapter eleven inside. One is opposite is the opposite of the other. The wicked man who prospers, the rush of is antithetical to the ra- to the righteous man who suffers the tzaddik viraloi. The exact opposite of the right of the incomplete tzaddik is the incomplete rasha. Right, the complete tzaddik is someone who the bat the bat has been turned to good. You could imagine the complete rush is going to be someone who the good has basically disappeared. Those are one match, the, <coughs> the complete sadik and the complete rasha. And then you have the middle, which are opposite the other, op- which are again a match. You have the incomplete sadik, which still has some bad, but it's not active. And you have the incomplete rasha, which is, he has good, and it's, it's not so active, but there is good there. <clears throat> let's, let's see this further in. That is to say, what does it mean that you have a wicked man who prospers? Who is this man? That is to say, the goodness that is in his divine soul. And where is the divine soul which is in his brain? And in the right part of his heart is subservient to and nullified by the evil of the klipa that is in the left part. So the wicked man, that means he's a wicked man, but he has good to him, means the good still exists, but the bad overpowers it. It's subservient and nullified by the evil of the klipa that is in the left part. The right part of the heart is the godly soul and the left part of the heart is the animalistic soul and the animalistic soul has taken control of the godly soul. This type too, when the godly soul is subservient to the animalistic soul, just like we said that within the level of tzaddik and righteous men there are thousands of different levels. At the end of chapter 10 we learned there was a quote not at the end, sorry, on page 42, right-hand column, we said that 18,000 righteous men stand before the Holy One, blessed is He. Within the level of the incomplete tzaddik, there were there are thousands of different levels. So too, back on page 44, this type too, the incomplete Russia, is subdivided into myriads of degrees which differ in respect of the extent and manner of the nullification and subservience of the good to the bad, God forbid. Meaning, we're not saying that if the bad overpowers the good, that's the end of your life. God forbid. We are saying that there are thousands of different levels and what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the best case scenario. In the time, we're now going to define the best case scenario of the Russia. We're going to give you a case of someone who has a very small extent of evil. As we said, it, we use the word extent, and Hebrew would be kamos. That means there's very, very little evil overpowering. The overpowering of evil over the good is very small. And second of all, the manner of the nullification, again, is a very limited manner. To give an example... We learn in chapter 1 that if someone goes ahead and doesn't do even a, one of the laws of the rabbis, a rabbanan, they're still called a rasha, wicked man. But the extent of evil overpowering the good is very limited. You, someone has only transgressed, for example, avak lashon hara. Everyone is familiar with lashon hara, evil talk. You know then there's something called avak lashon hara. Lashon hara would be if uh, person A goes and tells person B 
you know, he says uh, that I just met someone, he's the worst person in the world. That would be Lashon Hara, no purpose. Avat Lashon Hara would be if person A tells person B, he says, I don't want to tell you about person C. It's better if we don't talk about him at all. And you understand that essentially there's Basically, if I turn to Maisha Mandel and say, look, Maisha Mandel, I really don't want to tell you about Dr. Yosef. I mean, there's a lot going on there. So I haven't said anything bad, but you understand. So that is not called Lashon Hara. But the rabbis say that that's not allowed, because that is called Avak It's called the dust of Lashon Hara. So why do you need to bring it up, right? Right. Now, if there's a reason, yeah. if there's a reason, so of course we all know the famous Chafetz Chaim, which says for a reason, if, you know, if person A wants to marry person B, so go and tell person A everything you know about person B. Of course, there's how you should say it. But if, for example, if there's a medical problem, everyone exists. Everyone, everyone agrees that that's not called Lashon Hara. So if, if uh, Yankel wants to marry Rivka, and I know that Rivka has a, you know, a real medical issue, something that's going to affect the marriage, I actually have a halachic obligation to tell Yankel about it. The Torah says... what the medical issue is. There's different degrees of... Of course, of course. And that's something that, that's beyond the scope of this small conversation. But what I am sharing is... Sharing negative information about someone is not always called Lashon Hara. Depends the context and many, many details. Yes. Is that in the political debate? They say, look, I don't want to go there, I don't want to talk about that, but... Maybe another time we'll talk. I, political debates is a class That's of its own. Right? But let's leave. Yeah. In that Let, forum, it would be all right. I'm going to leave the conversation of Lush and Hara and political debates out of, yes. of our I'm, talk right now. I'm not going to tell you how bad a person <laughs> C is. <laughs> And that's a great example. That's exact. That is called a vakla shonhara. Please. Can't you also, um, as a gesture, look like we're not actually speaking, but like we roll our eyes or some gesture? Absolutely. Is also a lot of content not actually speaking. A hundred, one hundred percent. Verbal communication. Yes. Yes. Eighty percent. You know, another example they give, you know, similar to a lot of you saying, they say, if you go to an enemy, if if Ruvain has an enemy, Shimon. And you go to Ruvain and you say, Ruvain, you know what I found out today? Shimon is such an awesome person. The rabbi said, that's also Lashon Hara. He, you know, you're doing no good right now trying to, if you're trying to make peace, it's fine. But just to like say, oh, you're just, all you're trying to do is, yeah, yeah. And so all of these cases um, are called the dust of Lashon Hara. So praising someone behind their back is also considered Lashon Hara? Or did I misunderstand that? Praising someone to his enemy oh, is called Lashon Hara. If you it's understand that this praise is like not really taken something. Yeah. Right, right. And so now, but someone who does this and only this, meaning if they're doing this and amongst other, other negative things, that's not our conversation. We're saying this is the only item that they slip on. Every so often they say, you know what, <laughs> I really just don't want to tell you about so-and-so. If that's all the negativity we're talking about, well, when they do that, they, they are called a Russia. They have flipped. But it's a very limited amount of time. It's a very limited context. And it's, it's, it's a smaller flip. So in that, in that case, we know that the good is still very active. And we're going to learn it's easy to allow the good to overcome the bad in that case. So this, this is going to be we're now going to describe, back in the Tanya, the, the best case scenario for Russia. Again, the best case scenario will be where they slip on a on small issue. Then we're going to give a few small issues. Let's see that inside. There is the person, last paragraph, page 44, right column, there is the person in whom the said subservience and nullification are in a very minor way. The subservience of, the, the overpowering of bad over good is very minor. And even the minor way is, is not permanent. It's not, or recurring at frequent intervals. It's not very common. But on rare occasions the evil prevails over the good and con conquers the small city that is the body. Our body is called a small city. And so the best case scenario of a Russia is someone who at very infrequ infrequently um, and just on rare occasions the evil prevails. 
And even when the evil prevails, it does yet not all of it, but only a part of it. The evil is only prevailing over a small part of the body. Subjecting it to its evil's discipline to become a vehicle and a garment, the evil is going to overpower the good, but only for one of the soul's three garments mentioned above. So the best case scenario will be when it comes very infrequently and it's only going to affect one of the three garments of the soul. Who could remind me the three garments of the soul? Thank you, thought, speech, and action are garments of the soul because you could stop thinking about whatever you're thinking about. You could stop speaking about whatever you speak about. You could stop doing whatever you do. These are garments. Just like you could take off the clothing you're wearing and putting, put something else on. Thought, speech, and action are all garments. So, the, this level of Russia, the infrequent evil is only overpowering one of the three garments mentioned above, namely, either indeed alone. Maybe the evil overpowers the good only indeed. And we give an example. In the commission of minor transgressions, and not major ones, God forbid, maybe someone is slipping every so often in a small sin. Or in speech alone. Maybe they're not even slipping in action. They're only slipping in speech. What's an example of something inappropriate? In the utterance, of something that borders on slander and scoffing and the like. They're calling it border. It's called avak lashon hara, the dust. But yeah, border would be a good, a good definition. It's not lashon hara, but it's right there. So that's an example, again, of the... If the Russia, all he's doing is, he's doing a minor action, or he's doing, he's bordering on a sin of lashon hara. Or in thought alone, there are times that we could think something inappropriate, and that is this sin, in contemplation of the sin, which are more serious than actual sin. So if we think about doing a sin, just the thought itself is a sin. Now it's a very small sin. It may not be a sin that the Torah is not one of the 613 um, commandments, but just thinking about a sin is something negative. So again, we're giving you um, a small scenario in action, where it's a minor sin, a small scenario in speech, and a small scenario in thought. Yeah, I have a question. Yes. Right, let me just finish one thing and then I'll take it. I just want to be clear. What does it mean contemplation of sin? This sin over here is specifically about the union of man and woman. And we'll actually see this inside. Or even when he does not contemplate committing a sin, but indulges in contemplation of the carnal union between male and female in general. So even if someone is think thinking about doing a sin himself, that's a, a, a greater level of sin. But then we know the Torah shares that we're not, even, we sh we, we're not even allowed to... The Torah shares a person shouldn't even read books or, or see things that just discuss the union of man and woman not for, any reading, not for any learning purpose. Of course, it's for learning purpose. That's a separate. But one of the examples they give is on Shabbos. Halacha tells us on Shabbos there are certain things you shouldn't read. And Halacha, you know, it says, but, and of course... Um, you know, books of um, romance and such things, the Torah shares that when we read such things, whereby he is guilty of violating the admonition of the Torah, you shall guard yourself from every wicked thing. We have to guard ourselves, meaning that one must not harbor impure fancies by day, and in, verse, and in footnote number 6, it, conclu it concludes the quote, so as not to defile himself by night. So to be clear, if someone thinks about doing an inappropriate sin himself, or even if he doesn't think about doing an inappropriate sin, but he reads about things that could lead him to defile himself at night, so all of these things would be the are inappropriate and therefore they would 
fall into the category of a rasha. And now we're going to give you the best case scenario of a rasha. What's the best case scenario of a rasha? But it's still, it's still serious. Or, when it is a fitting time to study the Torah, but he turns his heart to vain things. If you could learn Torah right now, and instead, we're not saying he's doing a hobby or something that he needs to release his energy. We're saying clearly he's doing vain things. So as we have learned in the Mishnah in Avot, in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, it says, one who is awake at night or travels alone on the road and turns his heart to idleness, indeed, he endangers his life. Someone who goes ahead and he could be focused on Torah and, and instead he's going ahead and doing vain things, so that also is something that the Torah says is inappropriate. For by reason of any one of all these things and their like, he is called wicked at such time, that the evil in his nefesh, the evil in his soul, prevails over him, clothing itself in his body, inducing it to sin and defiling it. So we read a substantial amount of Tanya. So let's try and put it back together and then we'll take questions and see if we can have a clear picture. So we've clarified that the second one allows any, anything negative to happen. He's allowed evil to overpower the good. If evil is overpowering the good at that time, he is called a, he is called a wicked person in his essence again. Just to clarify. We're not saying you're going to be judged like a wicked person, but we're saying in, the, in, in his essence. The fact that he's able to do evil means that evil has overpowered the good. And we've given examples of what would be the, the, the smallest amount of sin, and yet it would still be considered a sin. So we said we gave examples in thought, speech, and action. Are there any questions? So, Rabbi, so I mean, any time that you know, we should turn towards the day, I mean, for instance, even neglecting to put on the phone for a day, okay. is that, that puts us at that moment in this category of a Russia. So you gave a specific case of neglecting to put on filling. So why did someone neglect to put on filling? I'm just curious. Like what? Oh, uh, too tired. Too tired. No, and I share because the cases we're giving here are where it was done um, actively. You know, you don't uh, speak words of, you don't, that border on slander. Normally it's something that you're consciously doing. If someone couldn't get out of bed, that wouldn't be called a sin. If they just were bored and they didn't do it, that, that, would, be, that would be a problem. Yeah. Like if they're too tired, meaning that they just, they're lazing around the house, that's, that would be an issue. Yeah. Brother, could you clarify uh, vanity? What do you mean by vanity or vain thoughts? <laughs> tell, tell me where you are. Uh, we just read it. Uh, oh, but he turns his heart to vain things. things. Yes, it's a good question. This Mishnah in Pirkei Avot has many, many meanings. In our context right here, yeah, in our context right here, we're taking um, the opinion that explains the Mishnah. The best time to learn Torah is at night. So if someone is up at night and it's the best time to learn Torah. There are actually certain places that they hire people to learn Torah at night because the, there's a lot spoken about someone who learns Torah at night. There's energy from heaven specifically on him. So they hire people to learn Torah specifically at night. Mr. Schwartz looks like he's familiar with these, these places or he wants to join one of them. I'm not sure which, which one it is. But if someone is up at night at the... Well, I'm sorry. They hire people to teach Torah at night or to learn? To learn. To stay up at night and learn Torah. <laughs> so if someone is up at this, this prime time and he is um, wasting his time, so that's a problem. So if you're up late at night, you shouldn't be playing video games, you should be learning. Yes, yes. I think that's where we're... And that's why, it's called, that's why this is not written in Shulchan Aruch, it's only in Ethics of Our Fathers. That's a, ethics of Our Fathers, Pirkei Avos, is telling us things we should do. You're not called a sinner if you're up at night playing a video game. Meaning you have not done a sin, but you have allowed evil to overpower the good. And that's, that is who he's talking about. And that's exactly what we're saying here in Tanya. That's exactly what we're saying here in Tanya. We're saying a Russia is not, that doesn't mean you sinned, but it does mean you allowed evil to overpower good. 
But what if your job is so demanding that on your day off you just need to sleep and you don't put your tefillin on? So that's why I said, I, if you, if some, someone missed tefillin for reasons he didn't wake up, that's a separate question, and I think we'd have to discuss the, the specifics of the case. But yeah, that was that. That's a separate case. I, I do have another question, though. We, we spoke of one of these categories that's all about thought. Yeah. But aren't the chachamim very clear? Like it says very clearly in Gemara Sanhedrin that that you don't get punished for your your for what they consider to be your evil thoughts. You might get rewarded for your good ones. That's another discussion. But. You, they all seem to agree across the board that you're not going to get punished for your bad thoughts. But here the Tanya seems to distinguish a specific category where you might not be getting punished, but it's definitely putting right, an added weight on, on the power of thought having... You're still a Russia. Right. Your eyes, the Gemara says, your eyes are the gates of your body. Not of your soul, I'm going to say of your body. Someone that can't see, they're going to have very limited temptations. So a lot of temptation comes from your eyes. Your eyes lead you to think. So if it goes from your eyes to your thought, and then it goes to your action. You don't just normally do something without thinking about it. So yes, thinking about sin means that evil has overpowered good. And, and, and specifically, in time you were mentioning, think, thinking about certain sins which ha- could naturally have certain effects, even whether you like it or not, is, is a sin, sin in and of itself. So really what the Tanya is saying here is that if you think about these certain things, most likely you're going to try them out, and then from there you're just going to roll no. downhill. No, we're not saying most likely you'll try it out. But we're saying you have clearly put yourself in very bad, sp- in very bad space. So do you have to think of sins that are contrary to Ten Commandments? Or how bad does it have to be before you know you're thinking of a sin? Just just to be clear about this specific spot. I'm not saying thinking about sin is right or wrong. But to clarify here, when we're saying thinking about sin... It's worth discussing specifically the sin of inappropriate relationships. In the Tanya here, when we say, thinking about sin, we're talking about specifically the sin of inappropriate relationships. And that's what the Tanya continues, and it says that if someone is thinking themselves about, an, about them, themselves involved in an inappropriate relationship, that itself is completely wrong. But Tanya continues and says, even if you're not thinking about yourself, you're just, you're, just, you're just imagining you know, the, the interaction between men and women when they, when they have a relationship, that itself is also a sin. Why? As the Gemara says, that someone who reads about you know, these, uh, the, the relationships and stories between men and women, that itself could bring a person to defile himself at night. And just the thought itself um, is inappropriate. So that's not to say that there are other kinds of thoughts that are also inappropriate. This I is this is but one question. example of an inappropriate, right? The Tanya, I'm not sure. Is Tanya is speaking only about this one specific thing. Tanya is clearly. Th- I guess that's really what. I'm when we talk about yeah. thought, the Tanya is specifically oh, talking about a specific sin, but the Tanya <laughs> does go ahead and add at the end that if someone could be learning at an ideal time and they're wasting their time, that would also be called an in- something inappropriate. Another example the time you gave from Ethics of Our Fathers, that on air, Balayla, if you're awake at night, and you're wasting your time, so that would also be another example of your mind doing something inappropriate. Well, the time was written, there, there, weren't, there weren't the things that we have now, like, like for example, video games, or, or movies or things like that, or the internet even. So it's like you almost could put those other things in, in a similar category because it definitely distracts your mind from, from Torah. Absolutely. Uh, didn't we, remember we gave an example when we were talking about food, about if you have 
coffee to stay up at night to study Torah, that's a good thing. But if you have coffee to stay up at night to play video games or something, then maybe that's... Then you're not elevating the coffee. That's right, you're having, you're having something and you're not, eleva you're not elevating it. Correct, correct. So... One of the Barisa? Yeah. Are you applying those um, strategies, rules, to this passage to come to the conclusion that they're really not talking about anything but relationships except for the end that you qualify? Or can we extrapolate from this then? Do you, mind, do you mind clarifying? Do you mind saying it again? Um, where the Brisa helps us to interpret... Wh which Brisa? Huh? The 13... 13, okay. Methods of learning the Torah. Yes. Yeah. Help us to understand how to interpret yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Can we apply them here? Or is that what you're doing to help us understand the Tanya? Because it seems like you're taking a specific in, and limiting it to the specific, except where you said at the end. And when you say relationships, my you know, village idiot understanding of the commandments are that some are the relationships between man and Hashem, mm -hmm. and others are relationships between people and people, so we're still dealing with relationships. Right. That's a good question. You know, how, how do we know it's talking about specifically the relationship between man and woman, <coughs> and specifically the act of, of, of intimacy between man and woman? Um, the truth is I can never do it on my own. The Rebbe wrote commentary on this chapter, and, and uh, he wrote in his commentary that um, the specific uh, that the Rebbe Shneir Zaman is talking about here is the union of man and woman in this section. Yeah. But just in terms of generally the way that I interact with things that I, you know, I'm just and I wrote, I feel like I'm a Russia wanting to be a Bain anyways. That's You're jumping ahead. We're only starting the Russia, and then we have another five chapters about the Bainami. <laughs> so let, let's wait and see. And, um, you know, in, please. Um. Sorry, Dr. Yosef, I just want to finish to, to, to Yosef and say that we're going to soon see a quote in the Tanya that says, Halavai, if only we all will be a Benini. In other words, if, if we're going to finish Tanya and learn that unfortunately with our essence, maybe that of a, hopefully the highest level of a Russia, let's not be deterred. That's, the, that's what the Tanya is actually here to do. It's here to show us how we could all become that Bainani. And just to share with you one point, and then I'll take Dr. Yosef's question. If the word Tanya, and I shared this at an earlier class, is spelled Tuf Nun Yud Aleph. Tuf is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Nun is, Nun and Yud are like the middles, and Aleph is the first. And some of the Rabbis that learned the Tanya, they shared, why did Rabbi Shneur start off with this word Tanya, which actually is, the word is not really a correct word when you look in the Talmud for many reasons. Why did he choose this word? And many answers were given, but one of them, beautiful answer is, because they said, when you start off Tanya, you think you're a tough. You think you're in everything. You, you're, the, you're the last letter of the Aleph base. You're this big person. As you learn Tanya, you find that, whoa, maybe I'm just a nun. Maybe I'm only a little over halfway. You continue learning, you're like, whoa, hopefully I'm a Yud. Maybe a... Then you finish Tanya and you realize, let's, let, let me be an Aleph. Let's start over. So yes, your feeling that you're having now, yes, that's, that's what we're learning. We're learning that we have a lot we could do, but we're going to learn how we could do it. So don't be deterred. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, yes, Dr. Um, so he, he's focusing a lot on the sexual immorality. Yes. But there's lots of immorality in the world. Yeah. And that's one. Yeah. And certainly an important one. But there's lots of others. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you just... So can you contemplate genocide? What? I had that thought too. What's it? You're saying like so? Yeah, if you're contemplating genocide. Well, well yeah, yeah. But you know, you're not. You're not. You know, you're all for. 
only man and wife, but you're contemplating genocide. What's going on there? Yeah, I, yeah. I had that thought. Well, uh, I mean, that, for instance, yeah. Dr. Yosef, you're 100% correct that there's a lot of inappropriate thoughts. But the, the one thought that the Torah says is the fastest to bring negative results is the so- thought of inappropriate relationships. We're not saying other thoughts, they're all terrible. But we're saying the one that will have the fastest negative results is thinking about inappropriate relationships. There's an automatic reaction in one's body. When you go ahead and, God forbid, think about hurting someone, there's no automatic reaction in your body. Does that make sense? Okay. Would you mind if I added? Please. And, and by the way, Dr. Yosef, that's a quote from the Talmud. What I just shared with you is a direct quote from the Talmud, and that's what you saw in, in uh, footnote number six. The, the Tanya shares that one must not harbor impure fancies by day so as not to defile himself by night. Yes. Uh, this is not a Jewish source, but it could be related. Uh, so a, a bit of a psychology background. Freudian... Uh, Freudian explanation uh, drives to do things are all based in a sexual nature. You know, you don't want to do something unless there's some sort of sexual drive behind it. So if you have, um, if you want to do something horrible, you know, there's what, what, what could be the possible reason deep inside of you. In some way, subconscious level, there is, a, there is a, some sort of sexual link you have created within your mind. So a person who contemplates sexu- uh, genocide, for example, it's that energy is there. They made those links in their mind. Otherwise, why would someone, why would someone even be excited about doing something like that? I'm sorry if that's um, an inappropriate. No, no, answer, that, that's an interesting, interesting point you're bringing up. But again, I want to reiterate that thinking of hurting someone it, itself is terrible. We're just talking about the degree of how of of the response from your thought itself. Right. So, so the Tanya really seems to be focusing that in this one category of thought, you're the most likely to quote-unquote go home that night and act on that thought, and thusly will have led you when we say When we say that someone is called a Russia for just having a thought, doing nothing inappropriate, so yes, we're going to say that the, the immediate response will be from right. this specific thought. Right. Yes. And the thought will lead to... A, a, it, a, it, a, it may. I'm not going to say it will. To an energy. Right, but it's so the most likely it's to lead to... Uh, yes, that is what we're saying. That's, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. That's at least my understanding. And he's only giving an example of it. 100% he's only bringing an example, correct. But the, yeah, this is the example being brought. Could, could, please, go ahead. Could be potential. The potential might be a... The, the, the fact that the potential is so big. Well, it's just that the whole thing is about the potential of it. That's also a good point, that the rush is, is about his potential, and the potential is bigger here. Yeah. Could we go for a few more minutes? Sure. Does that work? Because I want to just finish off the next paragraph, which is very related to Yom Kippur. Presently, however, this Russia is a very limited Russia. He's the best case scenario of a Russia and because of that although the evil has overcome the good but remember we said it's only infrequently and presently however the good that is in his divine soul asserts itself the good wakes up and therefore what happens when the good wakes up and he is filled with remorse he really feels bad about what he did it, it always happens to us. We say something negative, we say something inappropriate, and immediately we know we, we, know we made a mistake. That's what we're saying here. You, the good is there, and you feel remorse, and he seeks pardon and forgiveness of God. The rush of a toivle, the Russia that has a lot of good within him, he'll do something negative, and immediately he wakes up and says, Hashem, with all the four levels of teshuva, he says, Hashem, please forgive me, I won't do it again. I sinned. Indeed, God will forgive him if he has repented with the appropriate penitence. Penitence, According to the counsel of our sages of blessed memory, <coughs> namely the threefold division of atonement, which is expounded by Rabbi Yishmael, as is explained elsewhere. Rabbi Yishmael, in tracted Yoma, shares with us that there are three levels 
of teshuva necessary. Number one, he says some sins you just need to repent. You need to really repent. Other sins, he says, repentance won't do it. You need repentance and the holiness of Yom Kippur. And I want to talk to you about this for a moment. Yom Kippur is not a scary day. It's an awesome day. The Gemara tells us, Yom Kippur, just the awesomeness of the day atones for sins. The awesomeness of Yom Kippur itself. Let's not forget that example I, gave you, I, I shared where two people met. One person says Rosh Hashanah is his worst day of the year because he's judged. The, his fellow responds, he says, it's my, he says I'm happy because the judge is my father. <laughs> you know. We're coming to Yom Kippur. Of course, remember, Avinu Malkeinu, Hashem is our father. But more importantly, the Talmud shares, Itzumai Shal the awesomeness of the day brings tremendous energy. And that's the second level. The first level, Rabbi Yishmael says, for, t- for teshuva repentance, is just repentance on the, the first day of Elul, you know, the energy of repentance came, you repented, you're forgiven for smaller sins. Bigger sins, Rabbi Yishmael says, no, that's not enough. You actually need to wait till Yom Kippur. The energy of Yom Kippur will forgive you. Unfortunately, Rabbi Yishmael says, there is a third level of teshuva where Yisurim, um, hardships, need to come on a person to uh, forgive him for his sins. Three levels. And that's what Rabbi Shneir Zaman over here in Tanya is saying, that the person, this Russia of Etoivle, this Russia, when he awakens from his slumber, he did something negative, he awakens. So if he's going to do the appropriate method of Teshuvah as required from the, ta- from the Talmud, then he'll be forgiven. And when he's forgiven, is he a tzaddik? No, not yet. Because if he could sin again, his essence hasn't changed. But he won't be punished for it. Right, let's, re- let's repeat again. If someone sinned and they repent for it, does that mean they're not going to sin again? No. So then you're not a tzaddik, because that means the evil could still come back up. But at the same time, is that sin a stain for you? No, it's clean. Okay, let's end off on a happy note for Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is coming. Firstly, let's repeat, you're only judged by your actions. And I I know that no one here has 50... I know that everyone here has less than 3% negative. So we have nothing to worry about. 97% good. But even more than that, we're sharing that... Itzumai Shal Yom Yom Kippur is an awesome day. It carries with it. The reason we don't eat on Yom Kippur is because our soul is so strong that it doesn't want us to get involved in eating. It's not because we want to punish ourselves. No, God forbid. Hashem wants to punish us? No. Hashem says it's such an awesome day, you need to focus on your soul. But right after that we have Sukkot. Hashem says, don't worry. We're also going to spend time with your body. But right now, it's a, it's a day for our soul. It's an awesome day. We should all be sealed and inscribed for an awesome year and share that warmth with everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful year. Shana Tovah. Amen.